it wasn't like it is now where you might play uh, you know, GA and, and and soccer and all sorts of other games as well. It really had a stigma. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. You ain't shit! I wish I was 50 years younger you and I'd kick your ass. <laughs> My fans can be the harshest critics, you know. And they often are. A wife is often the harshest critic <laughs> of her husband. <laughs> I thought I was invincible. That's what you're, you're trained to believe as a sports person. There was four million people in Ireland who knew much more about managing <laughs> football teams than I did. When it comes to music, I can spoof with the best. Your sporting career is the best time you'll have, and, you know, you have to hang on to it for as long as your life, because everything else is pretty crappy. And this is not lies. Stephen Rochford has never spoken to Jim McGinnis in his life. And you're very welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. Shane Hannon with you until 5 pm this evening. And it's time for the Saturday panel. One for the motorsport enthusiasts today as well. And it's an indie racing special uh, with two guys, uh, I think it's fair to say, in different generations of their careers, you could say perhaps. Uh, first off, it's Woody T. Ribs, motorsport legend, of course, uh, and the focus of the Netflix film, uh, documentary film, Uppity, the Woody T. Ribs story. And if you haven't seen that documentary, I would urge you. To, to watch it. It's an incredible uh, look at uh, Woody T. Ribbs's career and uh, and life that he's had so far. And uh, our other guest this afternoon is James Rowe, uh, an Irish driver uh, over in Indianapolis. He's just finished his rookie season in Indy Pro 2000, where he finished with a season-ending win in Mid-Ohio. Afternoon to you both, lads. Hey, Shane. How are you? Keeping well. Keeping hey, well. hey, hey, you guys, uh, you guys are already at the bar over there, right? <laughs> it's uh, well, it's, yeah. it's it's half past one over here Irish time, so uh, yeah. we're close enough, Willie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hell, hell, I'm just having coffee. <laughs> That's a wise wise move. I think we we actually have a we have a third degree of separation going on here. You might explain, James. Um, there's a link between uh, a member of your family and Willie T as well. Yeah, absolutely, and it's funny, uh, funny how the years roll on, and and in the motorsport world. It tends to happen with numerous of people and numerous of families. But uh, my uncle, Michael Rowe, uh, done Formula Ford 1600 back in the early, or sorry, in the late 70s, early 80s in the UK. And Kanam in America won that championship in 84. But he raced against Willie and Willie raced against Michael back in the day. Um, from what I believe, Willie will know more on it. But the fact that, you know, the wheel is the full circle. Obviously, Michael's retired many years ago and now just enjoys watching motor racing. But you you then fast forward, I'd say 30 or 40 years, and here you are in an interview um, talking about a win that I just had in America in, in at Mid-Ohio in single seaters with Willie, um, who raced against my uncle. And, you know, uh, it's a sport, I think, like no other, where once you're in it from the early days, you're, um, you're stuck in it for life. And the stories from back in the day, I just love, I mean... What it took for for those guys to go racing and the commitment and desire it's nothing but a motivation uh aspect for me it's pretty cool the the, the racing game scene and the racing game has changed certainly willie over the years and uh, uh i guess back in your day it was um it was different but it was still enjoyable and those those races against uh, the likes of uh, nigel mansell and michael rowe as james mentioned were were, were the good old days I, I guess yeah i gotta tell you um <clears throat> that race that Mike, Michael Rowe and I and Nigel Mansell had. <clears throat> it was my very fourth race in my career. And, uh, you know, I just, I mean, I was beginning. And uh, that race, Michael Rowe taught me more in one race 
as far as dirty tricks. <laughs> oh, and when that when that race was over, the practice was over. I mean, I learned how to short break people in the center of a corner. I learned how to do the deep chop. I learned how to come off sideways off the corner to block, to block the whole trap. Michael Rowe could do all that. And I was, you know, and him and uh, Nigel and I and him had a great race. I mean, it was just like this, every lap. And in the end, it was Michael winning it. I was second and Nigel was third. Well, we didn't know each other until we rode around the track in the back of a, a lorry or a truck, if you're in Texas, with a laurel wreaths on our neck. And that's how we met each other, wow. on the back of that truck, going around the track, doing the queen way, right? <laughs> and uh, and, I, and I, I asked Mike, I said, uh, I said, how'd you learn how to drive like that? He says, oh, they, he says, that's, that's how we do it here, <laughs> right? And, 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 and Mansell uh, was doing the same thing, but not quite as overt. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mike, Michael Rowe was doing it in practice. <laughs> well, with the race, well, I mean, he was right out of the pits. He was, he was, he was doing the old sidewinder, you know, a sidewinder in Texas is a rattlesnake. Well, that's how they crawl. So, uh, oh yeah, it was, uh, uh, it was, I learned a lot and that experience over there was the best thing I could have ever done at the beginning of my career. I wonder how many of those, uh, those dirty tricks you've picked up James uh, from, from the family, from the family line, like you, you've, you've obviously had a, uh, for all the, the people listening in Ireland, watching in Ireland today, I mean, uh, for anyone who, who isn't aware, you had your, as I mentioned, rookie season in Indy Pro 2000, but really it, it, you captured your first win in that um, season finale at uh, mid Ohio and 25 lap race in the wet, probably conditions that uh, suited you down to the ground. But what an extraordinary way for you to finish your, your rookie career. I'm sure you were delighted with that. Probably the, the one of the top races in your career, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, it got to be. I mean, Mid-Ohio, um, for those that don't know, is notoriously hard to pass at. Um, it's very much a, where you qualify is where you finish style racetrack. Um, I qualified in the third row in sixth position. Um, wasn't too happy with it. And then uh, the rain came for the race and Michael was actually at the race, which is quite funny. And uh, he uh, suggested one or two things to do, which is honest. And I'm not just saying that from, from his experience uh, in, the, in the wet weather driving in America over the years. And uh, we went out and just um, laid it all out there. You know, it's the last race of the year. You have nothing to lose. Um, you're fighting for your career, your partners, your sponsors, everyone's on board. Your team have done so much for you and you, you laid all down there. And um, thankfully between the setup and uh, the team's um, strategy side of things and my driving, it all came together and yeah, started six, got up to fourth in the first lap, uh, then up to third. And then a safety car came out and when I said mega pace compared to the others, I mean, we were over second lap faster at times than the guys on the track and uh, just um, said on lap, I think it was 16. All right, here we go. It's time to uh, time to get on with it. And I, I sat in behind them, up at the lap point, judging where they were fast and, and where I was fast. That's something that he always uh, thought me is, is to sit back for a, a lap or two just to figure a few things out. And once I knew where I was strong and they were weak, we pounced and got in the lead and stretched out to a couple of seconds um, 
ahead but then with three laps to go someone went off and safety car came out said damn that's my lead gone now uh track was drying a lot and we didn't have as much pace towards the end as we did at the start of the race um because the race was deemed a wet weather race so everyone was on wet tires however it was drying so fast the wets just weren't lasting um i said oh boy here we go this is going to slip away from me now so just on the on the restart i went uh, very early um and uh out foxed them essentially they, they they didn't think i was going to go squarely and got the jump and that was enough to hold them off for for, for three laps and ultimately get the win so yeah it was a uh, phenomenal i think the fact that I went from six to first and were so dominant tried to race from a pace perspective as I said over a second lap faster for a number of laps in those conditions around mid-Ohio which is notoriously hard to pass at it's just why it was probably one of the best drives of my career at a at a point where I needed it most and uh, Willie knows all about that when the pressure's on and it's contract season now it's off season in motorsports and, and in the Indianapolis area you got to perform this time of year you know otherwise I could have been booking a one-way ticket back to Ireland <laughs> and said it's a return ticket. So that's all good. Yeah, an incredible time to get it for sure. Um, like Willie, from your own career, like I, I watched, the, I mentioned the Netflix documentary at the, at the top there. And uh, if anyone hasn't seen it, Uppity, the, the Willie T. Rib story, it's just an incredible look on your, on your life and career. Uh, first black driver to, to race in the Indy 500, first black driver to test the Formula One car. Uh, like you had some unimaginable hurdles uh, <clears throat> to overcome, <clears throat> excuse me, to overcome in terms of, racism especially in, in the deep south in america in the you know 70s and 80s you know death threats confederate flags attracts uh white drivers i think in talladega wasn't it spitting at your feet you had racist graffiti in, in uh, toilet walls like it was a tough time to be a black driver in what was essentially back then a white sport i didn't give a damn i'm gonna tell you right now i uh i i never saw myself other than a race driver, and if any other driver, any personnel, or anyone in auto racing ever thought that I was going to let them treat me different, uh, they found out they they that wasn't happening. And I enjoyed the challenge of it back then. I mean, and and Lewis Hamilton's dad, Anthony, said to me, he said, um, he says. You know, he says, we, we, we had a little opposition coming through, but not like you. And how did you deal with it? I said, oh, I loved it. In fact, I antagonized it. You know, I, you know, you want to you wanna be mad? Well, I can make you real mad. I can make you madder than you've ever been. And that was my, that was my approach. If you're going to treat me different other than just being a man, right, good or bad, then uh, that, you know, I'm going to treat you different and it's not going to be warm and fuzzy. And that's how I approached it. Now, when I was in England, I had no problems. It was the best experience in the world, racing in England. Now, uh, Nigel, Michael Rowe, Bill Shepard, all the uh, uh, Trevor Van Ruin, all the guys I raced against, they were tough. They were hard-nosed race drivers. But out of the car, we were just young guys wanting to get to the top. And that was the greatest experience. And I didn't want to come home. I would have stayed there if, if I hadn't run out of money. It, it's incredible. It's an incredible time. Um, and, like, 
you mentioned Lewis Hamilton and Anthony Hamilton there and and to see what Lewis is doing now I guess in Formula One is is, is quite incredible with, with seven world championship wins and look he's a role model to all young um, I guess potential motorsport enthusiasts and kids these days especially black kids um, and when you see the Black Lives Matter movement at the moment, uh, Willie, and, and you see what's what's happening in Formula One and the, and the changes that are happening uh, and the work that's being done, um, it's so important, really, I guess, and, and to ha- for black kids to have role models like that. I know you pr- possibly had Joey Ray growing up. Uh, and for people that aren't aware of Joey's story, like 1947 became the first African-American, I think, licensed by the American Automobile Association. So to have those role models, and you were one yourself, is so important. Well, there's one role model that's right behind you <laughs> in this picture. And he's, his name is Muhammad Ali. And Ali took me under his wing. I met him in London. And uh, we ran uh, and jogged through Hyde Park together. And, we, and, I, and he let me be in his company for a week. He knew what I was doing. And he was giving me advice. And... Um, you know, having role models is great because, you know, you, the people who blaze trails before you is, uh, is, is inspiring. However, what Formula One is doing is, and Formula One is the king of auto racing. There's no bigger auto racing uh, organization or association bigger than Formula One. For Formula One to take that lead, to set an example, for Formula One to be a role model and take that example to open up the sport to all people, which is uh, makes Formula One even bigger. If if someone locks themselves out in their own community and says, "Well, it's just for us," well, <laughs> you're limited yourself. You just limited your your uh, your bottom line well when you open it up to everybody and you promote it it's worldwide it's the best thing uh for your organization it's best thing for the sport and uh and people are uh motivated by it for sure and and like I guess that that impact that role models have is 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 quite something, and often it's 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 unspoken really. But even for like the parallels and differences in in your two careers it was quite interesting when I was doing my research here. Like I know Willie in, in in the film you mentioned the fact that your father didn't really want you to be a a racing driver, and and on on the flip side of that, I guess for you, James, I mean I know we've mentioned your, your uncle Michael, distinguished uh, driver, legend of the sport. Uh, and inducted into the Irish Motorsport Hall of Fame as well, too. I should I should mention. But you started off, James, working in your in your father's garage, growing up in Nace and County Kildare. So, I guess that's where where you know the I guess the love of motorsport kicked off for yourself. Yeah, you know, there's really many ways to look at it, and um, the reality is, I think no matter what sport you're talking about, whether it's Muhammad Ali or whether it's motorsport with, with Willie's career or, or Michael's career or any sports person, the way I look at it, you know, even any of the top current IndyCar drivers like Dixon or, you know, Rossi or whoever that may be. Um, it all starts with a deep desire to want to do something, you know, regardless of what it takes, the, the, the limit, the, the things that hold you back, it, certain things in sports, 
just drive you so much regardless of the limit and, and for my case the limit for me was was funding at the time to get into the sport it's a sport like no other where you don't buy a pair of football boots or a baseball bat and go play you know you have cars you have engines you have tires you have crew you have haulers you have fuel, fuel track fees the list goes on and on and on just to even get on the track before you put it off and damage it you know like that's just baseline to get on it so for me my uncle knew that michael from his career and we basically didn't have the money at the time and dad and, and uncle turned around and said all right well here's the deal you know in the family repair shop and nice you have the resources to run the car and the the tools to work on it your uncle has the knowledge to set it up and coach or whatever from his um from his career so it was i guess a flip to the current model where most indycar or formula one drivers or even guys and you know indy pro 2000 indy lights or formula two over here in europe start go-karting at four or five years of age i didn't start the last 15 years of age purely because i had to save up and purchase my own race car that's that was the deal you save up and buy your first race car and we'll we'll run it for you so it took me till i was 14 to save up and buy my first race car and then we went to the racetrack and ran the podium the first day and said okay better take this um serious but what what the parallel for me is to your question is that it's the one to succeed and 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 doing whatever it takes to succeed you know uh you know back to willie and, and what he's done like even for me just listen to his story right now and obviously watch the watch the show on netflix for a guy to go over to america back in that era as a black african-american and take on these figures in the uk who are highly established like just that that desire and that want to succeed and, and make take a move from home is very similar to me you know, and I can only relate to it as me moving from Ireland to America after I'd never been to America whatsoever, landed in America in 2018, never even been to the country, just finished high school in Ireland and um, had my leave in certain and landed and, and went racing. And, you know, I don't know how you even describe it, but it's just sport just puts a certain uh, desire in people's mind. And, and if you really want something, I think that the common denominator is you got to go get it. No one's going to hand it to you on a plate and, Willie's story was no different and hopefully mine will uh, be similar. Yeah, like that that word desire that you mentioned uh, there, James, like for you, Willie, unquestionably you had that desire because I, I remember hearing the story of you, um, I think essentially joyriding a car at 12 years of age and, and getting caught by your by your dad. And uh, I know your dad. Sounds familiar. I've done the same. Really? <laughs> well, there you go. See, there's parallels all over the place here. But like, Oh, no, no, no. I didn't get caught by my dad. Okay. I got caught by the sheriff. Right. Oh, yeah. even yeah, worse. My dad, yeah, my dad wouldn't have been a problem, but the sheriff, uh, you know, he, he, everyone in 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 town knew my family, mainly because my grandfather's business, right? And he had a very successful business, and so uh, I got caught. Well, I was in a Lotus Cortina <laughs> when I got caught, and um, he couldn't see me. I was so small, he could not see uh, from the back windshield. He could barely see the top of my head. So when he pulled over, and you know, and, <clears throat> and the only reason he caught me is because I slowed down. <laughs> I, I was driving away from him up this mountain road, and I slowed down to turn around and come back. Well, that's when he got me. And uh, so, you know, that was sort of the... And then they, then my parents sent me to the ranch right after that. I was sent to my grandfather's ranch and about uh, 150 miles away on 300 acres. So, 
you know, they, uh, they thought it was going to be a little bit easier for me to, uh, or a little bit harder for me to get in trouble up on the ranch, especially with Henry. It sounds like heading to the ranch, though, was possibly worse than any punishment the sheriff could give you, because I think one of the quotes from the film was that your grandfather was, was five foot four, but as big as Shaquille O'Neal. Like, he was, clearly he scary was man. Very, he was very imposing. He was very honest. He was fair, but he was tough. He did not take, uh, when he told you to do something, you did it. And uh, you didn't argue with him. And he was, no matter who he was around, black, white, Asian, who people automatically, when he walked into the room, it was like Bernie Ecclestone walking in the room. You knew this. He was, he was a very smart, very uh, uh, poised man. But he was the one. It wasn't my dad that didn't like racing because my dad raced. It was my grandfather. Mm. He, you didn't even, you didn't mention it around him. No, he didn't want to hear about anything about race. It was about business and how to build, uh, build the business. That's all he cared about. Wow. It, it's, it strikes me like all these backgrounds kind of help mold you into someone who, who really has to become self-sufficient. And, and I think one of the lines from your, either your father or your grandfather was, you know, be your own boss. Um, and like even for you, James, I remember we spoke before about uh, Drive to Survive on Netflix and how it's kind of inspired a new generation of, of Formula One fans. And, and one of the things that really stood out is the fact that you can be teammates with someone in Formula One or Indy Racing or, or whatever it might be, Trans Am or anything. Uh, but yet they are the person you probably most want to beat. So it's, it's a strange dynamic. Um, yeah. And I know Willie had that as well, but it's, it's certainly a strange one, wanting, wanting to beat your teammate more than anyone else. Yeah, you know, I think that the reality with this sport, and it's funny, I only spoke to Michael about it last night, um, speaking about my end of things and what we're going to be doing next year and so on and so forth, is that, albeit it's a team sport where you have mechanics and engineers and crew chiefs and truck drivers and, uh, you know, engine builders and gearbox builders, whatever that may be, it's only your name that's on the results sheet at the end of the day, you know, and your name on the side of the car and your name comes up on the results sheet, whether it's first, second, third, fourth, whatever that may be. And it's your name that's either champion or not champion. So the good days are great and the bad days are not so good because it's your name that's on the line and that's the bottom line. It's not like, you know, we compared it to sport like rugby or American football or whatever that may be where there's, 15, 20, 30 guys as a team together who win and lose together, truly, because they're all, it's one, you know, whatever, maybe uh, Irish, Irish rugby team won or uh, the Green Bay Packers won, whatever that may be, you know, there's, there's a, a team. But motorsport is is uh, a driver won or lost, and that's the reality of it. So that's why I think it's very cutthroat, um, because you're fighting for your own right and your own results and and. Guys will do whatever it takes to win. And to be honest with you, that's why I love the sport. You know, it's that that want to succeed and that cutthroat factor that um, makes it very enjoyable. Like that cutthroat factor that uh, James mentions, um, Willie, was, was similar for, your, for yourself because uh, a lot of people kind of picked you up the wrong way in some ways. I remember the, uh, the alley shuffle you used to do on the, the top of the car as one of your celebrations. And it seemed to rile a lot of people up. Um, David Hobbs was one, was one of your teammates at the time. So this similar cutthroat dynamic was 
something you experienced throughout your career and and even maybe for example being told before a race that you know for the benefit of the team you might have to finish second and let the teammate finish first like did that rub you up the wrong way or was it just is that just part of the sport well before we get into getting rubbed the wrong way um teammates uh compete not just with each other within the racing team you compete how much you more you can eat than your teammate how many more girls hey if you're going out the same same bar same pub you want to out pick up your teammate <laughs> you want to get the hottest the hottest uh uh savage in there right so you know you 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 compete with everything with your teammate and i i just think it was you know a lot of you know you know hobbs for example i mean we competed everywhere from the hotel to the racetrack on the racetrack after the race we'll race back to the hotel that's how we that's that was the mindset that that uh, i had and that everyone else that I competed against, you know, not maybe not everyone, but many, you know, you, you it's about having control, control and um, and not being not being beaten. So no matter what it was, whether it was in the bar competing, who could get the hottest, uh, hottest savage in there or uh, uh, on a racetrack. Yeah, and I loved it. <laughs> oh, I loved it. That, that was an absolute turn off. <laughs> like that, that competitive element, even from, from watching the documentary, when Wally Dallenbach Jr. was, was your teammate, and he speaks in the, in the film as well. Um, and there is a, a certain scene that, that is very reminiscent of Days of Thunder when you have the rental cars. Um, it, it, there's something even Top Gun-esque about it. There's clearly a, a macho, bravado, kind of competitive spirit between the two of you. Oh, yeah. And well, and, and you... You know, back in the day, uh, Bobby Unser and I, before he passed, well, you know, we were very close. And uh, Uncle Bobby would tell us about the races they would have. They would, back in the days before, they would uh, put fences around swimming pools. On a, a, The night after the race, they'd get liquored up and they would stack. They would drive cars into the swimming pool and see how many they could pancake until it came out of the water so they would stack three or four cars on top run up and stack them in the swimming pool and uh pretty soon they they weren't allowed to rent anymore they were banned for life uncle bobby and uh, al hunter senior they were not allowed to rent cars from Hertz, sir and i think hertz was the the big uh, rental car company in those days couldn't do it it's hilarious. You haven't had any issues renting cars, James. No, uh, no, no, uh, no. Like that. What's funny? What's really funny about that, and I wish I, I knew that story a week prior, is Johnny Unser, which is, I guess, Bobby's son, maybe. Uh, no, no, no. That's Jerry's son. In fact, I just talked to Johnny two weeks ago up and he's up in Idaho. Huh? So, but uh, so Johnny's the race director for the series that I'm in. Uh, He's a race director for, for, for Indy Pro 2000, and I was with him on Saturday. Uh, I was involved in a little incident with a guy, and uh, he wanted to see what was uh, 
what was going on, but he understood where I was coming from and there was no issues. In fact, he actually gave the other guy a penalty, which is kind of funny. But uh, yeah, they're, they're guys that understand the hard knock style of racing. I can imagine for sure. Um, if, I, if I just bring you, you both, I guess, to, to Indianapolis and to that Indianapolis Motor Speedway, uh, and, and look, James, myself and yourself have spoken about this place before. It's somewhere I've, I visited, but uh, visited from a completely different angle. Like I'm, I'm a you know member of the public who's there, you know, looking at the yard of bricks and gasoline alley, and and knowing I will never drive a car around that, that track. But maybe tell me a little bit about what it's like to be a young Irish, essentially teenager kid uh, when you first went over uh, visiting that track. Uh, and what that place meant to you to see it in person and know that someday your your, your ambition was to was to race there. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing, there's something about that place that, again, it's something that you feel when you drive in under the tunnel of Indianapolis Motor Speedway to go into the track and you realize where you are with the history that's been there, the guys that have raced there, the names that have raced there, the battles that have been fought there, the life-changing moments that have happened there for guys, uh, career-defining moments. There's just an energy there, even when there's no one there. And, and Willie will, will testify a lot better than I would. But I just felt that the minute you walked in, you know, the track is 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 phenomenal. I raced. I was in America two months at the time in 2018. And I got an opportunity to race there in USF 2000, which is the first rung of the road to Indy in the USA. Uh, a, a guy couldn't get into the country and a team had a seat and they called up last minute and said, come and race. So I was in America two months, never been there before, 18 years of age and racing at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. You know, you go across the yard of bricks that are so famous in, in, in the world of motorsport. It's the racing capital of the world. I mean, the list just goes on. It's hard to even put it into words. The place just has this persona and energy factor about it. I mean, it's home of the biggest one-day sport and event in the world. You know, that's in, a, in its own right is, is, is phenomenal. And um, I think, as I said, the, the, the main thing is just, if you step back and, and take it in for a minute and think about the fights that have been fought here, the battles that have been won and, and the, the life-changing moments for certain drivers, whether good or bad, that happen here at this track on certain days, usually in the month of May, <laughs> every year in Indy 500, I think um, it's phenomenal, you know, absolutely awesome. Like for, for you, Willie, I know Don King came on board uh, ultimately with you and uh, I think his quote was, I'll make you a superstar. Uh, but just beyond that, like your first attempt at the Indy 500 uh, in 1985, um, as covered in the in the film, didn't quite go to plan. I mean, and it was quite dangerous in some ways. I know whether intentionally or unintentionally, your, your windscreen um, was was essentially too low, um, which could have caused serious damage to you heading into turn one for the first time. As someone who had never raced there before, uh, your first experience of, of attempting the Indy 500 didn't exactly go to plan. Well, I ran there one day. We practiced one day, <clears throat> and, it, and that was the windscreen was just a small element of the issue. The the crew chief and I uh, did not talk. He he would not talk to me, and um, uh, that was a problem right there. There was just I I you just I knew he didn't want me there, and he wasn't interested in putting me. Uh, um, uh, it, there was it, he was there was a vibe that I got from him that that told me you 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 can't be with this guy and you cannot be in what Indy is and and James just, just said it it is the most famous racetrack on the planet it is a racetrack that and one of the most dangerous 
apart from the Isle of Man, you know, mm-hmm. uh, India is one of the most dangerous places ever. And, but it is also the most rewarding. And when you go there, you have to have everyone behind you with their best interests that they, in effect, are putting their life on the line just like you're putting your life on the line. And that's what you must demand. Well, I, 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 I knew right away after, oh, the, you know, the night before we had a, a meeting inside uh, uh, where the head team was based in Indy there. And I knew right there that night before I even got in the car, I said, this, this is not going to be good. So I walked away from it. It was just practice. It was rookie orientation. And I walked out and I, and I got a lot of criticism for it. And, uh, but those who knew the truth uh, said, you did the right thing. When I came back in 1991 with Tim Wardrop, who was one of the best engineers you could ever have at Indy and Lori Garish and, and John Waters and Buddy Lindblom, we went, even with our limited resources, uh, we went and we got the job done. Yeah, for sure. And it was a certainly certainly learning experiences anytime you go around that track, for sure. Uh, we just need to take a, a short ad break, guys. But uh, anyone tuning in, we are uh, uh, live with the, the Saturday panel here on Off the Ball on News Talk. Um, and I'm joined uh, by two legends, uh, really. And uh, guys starting off at different uh, different levels of their, of their motorsport career. But uh, Willie T. Ribs was the voice you've just heard. Uh, motorsport legend and the uh, focus of the Netflix uh, documentary film as well, Uppity, uh, and James Rowe, an Irish driver as well, who's just finished his rookie season in Indy Pro 2000, and uh, as we've been uh, speaking about, finished with a season-ending win in uh, Mid-Ohio. So get your text into us as well, 53106 is the text number. We're live on stream as well uh, on youtube.com forward slash off the ball, on Facebook and on Twitter as well, at off the ball. So leave us your comments, l- l- give us your thoughts, and uh, we're live for the next uh, half hour or so. So uh, get in touch with us, but uh, stick with us. We'll be back in just a second. Saturday panel on Off the Ball. And you're very welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. Shane Hannon with you right through until 5 p.m. this evening. And we're continuing now with our Saturday panel, one for the motorsport, uh, I guess, thrill seekers and enthusiasts out there today. And it's a, an indie racing special with uh, two guys in different generations of their careers. Willie T. Ribs, uh, motorsport legend and the focus of the Netflix documentary film Uppity, the Willie T. Ribs story, an excellent watch. If you haven't given it a watch, certainly do. Uh, and James Rowe from Kildare just finished his rookie season in Indy Pro 2000, where he finished with a season-ending win in mid-Ohio. Uh, lads, we are just talking during the ads there about um, the fact that, uh, James, you're 22 now, I think approaching 23 this month. Uh, and, and Willie, when you, were, when you were 22, 23 years of age, I guess if you could turn back the clock and, and give uh, a 22-year-old Willie T. Ribs any words of advice that maybe James could uh, pick up from, what would they be? Mm-hmm. Uh, go hard, everything, go hard. I mean, that, that applies to everything. Go stay hard, son. But, (laughs) but, but that's how that was the way I lived it. And, and, and that net you and staying hard means not being deterred. Not, I mean, some, some uh, races are going to be better than others. I mean, you finished off the season. Yeah, you're going on vacation 
with that first place trophy in your hand as you go to uh, Hawaii or or uh, the Caribbean, and you you know you can sit out, lay out on the beach, and put that trophy right next to that <laughs> drink stand, and just you know you go uh, you, you you take a vacation on a high note, and 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 that's that's uh, that's the only way to. You know, that, that's why you live. That's why you compete, right? And mm -hmm. sure, you want to win every race. That might not happen. But when you win, there's there's uh, no other feeling. And oh, I mean, yeah. in terms of motivating you to go to the next level. When I won my first race in uh, Formula Fords in Snetterton, that was, uh, it answered uh, the biggest question I had when I landed in could I win? Could mm -hmm. I win at that level that I was competing at? And I won. That answered the question. Yeah. It, uh, when I uh, for the reason I went there. From then, it was to go to the next level. Keep grinding. Keep working to the next level. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, you are right. No, uh, no winning or no feeling like uh, winning. I think it's the same for any sports. Uh, Sorry, I'm sure Shane, you speak to many of them on a weekly basis, and everyone say the same thing, regardless of the discipline. It's it's interesting, and like when when I hear what he speak as well, and, and like for you, James, I know, uh, I think it's approaching five years ago next month when uh, you became the first Irishman to compete in the uh, in Formula Four. Um, like when you look look ahead now, and you have that uh, as as Willie said, first trophy in Indy Pro 2000 in your back pocket. Like, do you, do you look ahead? Do you have ambitions down the line of, of Formula One? Is it Indy 500? Is it winning the Indy 500? Is it, is it a, a certain thing where year by year you have a plan or is it just take it? I know it's a cliche, but take it one year at a time. No, I mean, there's, there's two things here. Um, the dream is to be the first Irishman to win the Indy 500. I mean, that's a fact. Uh, that is just the absolute dream. The goal is to have a sustainable long-term career through motorsport, i.e. being paid to drive race cars. Um, obviously, if I achieve the dream, I'm going to achieve the goal. But getting to the Indy 500 is is what's on the list right now. And that's what I think about every morning before I step foot on, foot on the floor. And it's why I'm in America racing. I absolutely love it in America. Um, I mean, that country is just phenomenal. Uh, I... I love every day I'm in the country and I've been there for four years now and there's nothing that change about it. So I want to stay there racing for as long as I can and um, hopefully have a, a long-term career in the USA. So Formula One or racing in Europe isn't on the agenda right now. However, like anything in life, if a good enough opportunity comes up down the road, obviously you look at it uh, and potentially take it. But for now, it's full steam ahead in the USA, uh, chasing that Indy 500 dream and um, seeing uh, what we can do along the way and hopefully rack up a couple of more wins. And like as those opportunities come up and for you, Willie, it was, I guess, you know, different things happen. Like Paul Newman gives you a call at one point and, and gets you back involved in, uh, I think it was Trans Am. And uh, like when you look at moments like that and even moments like, I guess we'll touch on the Bernie Eccleston and um you know, you became the first black driver to drive a Formula One car. It was testing in, in Portugal. Uh, like, what was that experience like? I'm sure bittersweet in some ways. I mean, it was clearly a, an incredible achievement to, to get into a, a Formula One car. It's such a, a powerful machine. Um, but you, you weren't signed on for the, for the season as a driver. So 
how, how do you feel when you look back on that, that moment and those, I guess, experiences with Bernie Eggleston? Um, you know, I've had a lot of uh, mentors in my career. And I wouldn't say a lot, a few. And Muhammad Ali was one of them. Paul Newman was one of them. Uh, Dan Gurney was one of them. Well, Bernie Ecclestone, <clears throat> I met him that weekend at Brands Hatch when I was racing against Michael Rowe and Nigel Mansell. And, uh, Bernie and Gordon Murray came to the track. I don't know if they were scouting, but uh, and looking at the young drivers, but um, Bernie and, and Gordon Murray came up to me and said, we just wanted to meet you. Uh, we're watching you. Keep up the good work. It was the conversation might have lasted one or two minutes and uh, in the paddock. And that was, that was another uh, message that I got that that's, that was the perfect move to come to England. Winning, meeting Bernie Ecclestone. <clears throat> and when he put me in uh, his uh, car, the Brabham in Portugal, uh, I was dominating Trans Am. And he called, Herbie Blash called me and said, uh, we want you to come over to uh, Estrell and, and do a test. So I flew over. Bernie wasn't at the test. Uh, Charlie Whiting was there. Charlie was overseeing what was happening uh, with the car and myself. And Herbie Blash was there. <clears throat> the first three days of the five-day test uh, rained. And so they didn't want to put me out in that 1,000 horsepower four-cylinder BMW turbo uh, in the rain. So finally we got out once it stopped raining and we got up to speed and um, it was a great experience. I, uh, Herbie Blast said, we didn't expect you to go faster than what we planned for you to go, but you did. And we're really happy about that. Uh, Bernie let me know that about a week after that, that uh, Olivetti wanted two Italian drivers. They wanted Dianalis and they wanted Patrese. And, and I totally understood that. You know, they were an Italian sponsor and they wanted the Italian drivers. And uh, Bernie needed the bills paid. So he wasn't going to buck that. But it was a great experience. I can only imagine. Uh, an extraordinary experience. And then, like, when you move on to... to... Uh, we spoke about the, your first attempt at uh, getting into the Indy 500, but I guess the second attempt is, is really the, the climax and emotional high point, certainly, of, of the film uh, on Netflix. Um, I mean, talk to me about that experience in 1991, because it looked on a knife edge for, for quite some time, whether your car would make it to the final lineup of, of 33 for the race, but you got there in the end. We, uh, <clears throat> we were on a very limited budget, and we were using Buick engines. They were notoriously powerful, but they were just as notorious for being hand grenades, right? I mean, those things there, if you, uh, if you over-revved them, you know, by a uh, thousand RPMs, they, they were going to leave parts all over the racetrack. So uh, we lost uh, four engines. And it limited my track time. I needed as much track time <clears throat> for myself and to get the car uh, set up 
to go fast for qualifying. And so it limited my track time. Uh, later on, we found out there was some rod bolts that were very weak. They were snapping. Finally, in, uh, on the final day, with uh, some real pressure on the Buick, the head of Buick Motorsports, who did not want to give us an engine. The head of Buick Motorsports did not, said no. Well, there was some pressure that was put on his testicles. And um, <laughs> finally, we got an engine, which was a factory engine. And um, we went out and did the job. There was no time at that point where I didn't think we could go fast. I mean, Tim Wardrop is that good. He was just, un and he was really cool. I mean, and he, he had a Beatles type of haircut and he was very eccentric with his glasses and, and, uh, but brilliant uh, in terms of uh, making cars go quick around Indy. When we went out, it was easy to drive. And, and, and this is for you, James. Mm -hmm. When the car at Indy is easy to drive, you're going to go fast. Yeah. It's just, it, you could, it's almost effortless, but, and that's a real thin line between good and bad. When it's bad, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a comfortable ride. And one thing that Bobby Unser told me and Mario Andretti, make the car work for you mm -hmm. at Indy, make the car work for you. Once they get it right, you'll drive around there and you'll say, wow, that wasn't hard at all. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, ovals are the, my first oval this year, um, Worldwide Technology Raceway in St. Louis uh, Gateway, and um, put it on put it on pole there on our on our first try. Um, it was the first pole I got in the Pro 2000 series, and just like you said, we really worked on the on the car. And I think ovals, you know, something about them, a quick lap on an oval when everything's humming or everything's singing, as as you say, and your inches or half an inch or maybe touching the wall at times that thrill factor uh is is unbelievable and i can only imagine that uh indianapolis motor speedway it's gonna be a, a thrill that's for sure so you're, you're good in the oval and good in the rain as well james that's not a bad not a bad start um, yeah yeah like that uh, that 91 um race for you willie like you see the, the the final qualifying comes down to i guess uh, four laps, 10 miles, average speed of the driver to get into that final grid of, of 33. The, the scenes and the emotion um, at the end when, when your car has, has finally achieved this, the, the required speed um, is, is something quite moving. Like I, I know you got quite emotional in the film recording um, at that particular point. Uh, I think I felt like I was cutting onions when I was watching that part as well, because you think back to different parts in, in your in your life of, you know, racing in, in places like Wilkesboro, North Carolina, which are Ku Klux Klan strongholds, you know, booed by the crowd. I think someone in the film says the Civil War is dead, but it's still smoldering uh, in some areas. And to go from that to the scenes at the end in 1991, where you qualify and people cheering you into the pit lane. Uh, I think you, you said there was a, a black engineer maybe crying his eyes out as you as you, you drove in. So really emotional scenes and, and like can you take yourself back there at the speed of thought well when i went out for and there was 15 or 18 minutes to go in qualifying or you know qualifying's over at 6 p.m 
final day Sunday. Picture, if you will, you know, the, the, the buzz at the racetrack, the energy. And um, <clears throat> we knew, uh, I knew the car was going to qualify. There was no doubt. If the engine survived four laps around there, and that's the tough thing about Indy. Every race on the planet, they take your best one lap. At the Indianapolis 500, you run four laps or 10 miles. Anything can happen in 10 miles. So um, when I drove down, when I left the tech and they, you start down the pit lane, there's these yellow shirts, all these officials in yellow shirts. Well, one of the officials was an older black gentleman. And when I drove by him, then they salute you as you go down the pit lane. They're sending you on. Well, tears were coming down his eyes. I looked as I went by him, I could see tears. And he, his hand was shaking. And I thought, man, don't look at that. You're going to start crying yourself. <laughs> so I turned my head away. And then once you get out onto that track, you drive straight out. You don't go down all the way around the corner and exit at turn two. Uh, you go straight out. And when I got out there, I knew, all right, it's time to get it on. No ifs, ands, or buts. You, you can't. And I knew that I, if I had a problem, it wasn't right. I couldn't just come in and fix it. it was, we were out of time. So to do it, and, and, and it was an easy ride. The first, the first two and a half to three laps, piece of cake. The last lap of qualifying, the, the front was starting to slip a little bit uh, in the center of the corner. It was starting to walk out a little bit. So I had to breathe it a couple of times. First two laps was flat, flat out all the way around. And that's a great feeling. When you can hold that foot down around there and it's a nice ride, boy, you know you're, you know you're carrying the lumber, son. So, you know, uh, it, it's a great feeling. It very gives you a lot of confidence. When we qualified, I knew um, we were in the show. I knew it. I didn't have a radio, but we had the board, right? And it was, uh, you really don't, I didn't, it didn't set in until I came around the pit suites and turn two and the crowd and the pit suites on five levels were waving their arms. You can't hear anyone, but you can see them. And then on the way, in the pit lane, it was uh, one of the greatest experiences in my career, if not the greatest experience, coming down pit lane and the team uh, members, other team members and mechanics were all giving high fives all the way down pit lane. I mean, those those 10 miles really were no fear driving. And and something you mentioned, James, there as well, like moments where you're, you know, the, the, the side of the wheel is, is pretty much touching the wall, uh, you have to get your mathematics pretty spot on when you're when you're driving those those cars. Like for people who might not realize, back in 2014, you were the the youngest person ever to race an, an open wheel race car in Ireland when you were when you were just 16, I think. Um, and for people who aren't maybe motorsport fans listening in today, open wheel when the wheels of the car are outside the main body of the car, usually they're one seat. So the, the cars that look like Formula One, Formula Two, Formula Three, and Indy cars. I mean, what was that moment like for you? But not only that even nowadays do you, do you have to f drive with with no fear is there any element of fear in the back of your head or is it completely when you get into the 
uh, the cockpit of the car, there is uh, no element or remnants of fear in your head. No, I mean, I, I don't know. There's no fear. That's just a fact. Of, <laughs> I'm not just saying that uh, here in an interview. That's just a fact. I mean, I can't remember the last time I was scared doing what I was doing. I mean, it's a belief in your own ability. It's a belief in your team around you. Don't get me wrong. There's moments when you're on a quick lap and something happens, you know, the car snaps loose or starts pushing a little more than you like, understeer, whatever that be, and you're kind of saying, oh boy, you know, and you, you're reacting at that point. But I think there's a famous quote out there um, by Mario Andretti where he says, if you're thinking about it, you're not going fast enough. And um, uh, that's the reality of it. And I, I always, you know, go on that, you know, you go on your natural good instinct and, that pole lap back in August at Worldwide Technology Raceway in St. Louis. It's my first pole on an oval. And if you ask me, I was asked by numerous people after, though, what were you thinking on the lap or what did you do? I couldn't tell you. I don't know. I just, like Willie says, you come out of pits, you light it up, you're straight up to turn one. And we had two laps there. It was a two-lap average. Um, and thank you enough for pole, but I... I don't know what I was thinking. And yes, we're up against the walls and stuff, but you know, you're going to such a, a zone and I hear a lot of sports people thinking about it. The days where you're not thinking about what you're doing tend to be the days from my point of view that go very well because you're just natural ability. Everything's going, you're in the flow. Um, that's what I found. Now, every driver is going to be different, but um, there's no, uh, not too much fear, not too much time to think. Uh, the only thing you, you tend to think about is in the race is, you know, playing the chess game. Should I go now? Should I not go? What's coming? Is there lap traffic? Can I hang back a lap and utilize the lap traffic to get around them or whatever that may be? Um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting sport. Was it the same for you, Willie? Like when you're, when you're in the, in, you know, behind the wheel of the car, is it completely a case of zoned in, zoned out? Is it full focus on, on what you're doing or do, do, does your brain flicker away at, uh, at milliseconds or different moments? Um, the fear factor was not, I, I wouldn't call it ever being, being, uh, fear or being fearful. I would call it respect. Okay. And <clears throat> I've been asked a million times, do you ever get scared? No, I don't get scared, but I'm respectful of the environment that I'm in. I'm respectful of, uh, what the car is doing and what I can do with it. I'm not, you don't want to do anything stupid. Okay. And, or, or, or make, or be reckless, especially when you're racing with people. There's some people that you can race with that you know, you can tr pretty much trust that they're not going to put your life in their hands. Right. And, 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 and any driver, that is, can be, that you cannot be sure that they're going to make the right decision or they're going to harm you or, or are reckless, you got to let them know, you're not going to put my life in your hands, okay? And you got to make that uh, clear. So it's respect uh, and, 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 and drivers know that. You get to a certain level, you, you know, uh, there's unwritten rules out there. Mm -hmm. There's unwritten rules and we're going to, and you're going to, we're going to live by them or, or you might get your ass kicked after the race. <laughs> That's, 
That's just the way it is. I mean, you talk about getting your ass kicked at the end of the race, and and there's there's a couple of scenes, certainly from your career, where where that comes into uh, into reality, I guess. It, and it's it reminded me recently of of watching the Schumacher documentary on on Netflix, where he, I think, walks up the pit lane famously to confront David Coulthard. Uh, I think it was at Spa in Belgium, um, right. but you, like you had you had a similar. A couple of incidents, I think, Willie, but the one of the most famous ones was, was Scott Pruitt after, uh, I think it was an IMSA race in Portland. Um, and I know um, Caitlin Jenner talks in the, the doc, in your documentary film as well, um, was then known as Bruce uh, Jenner back in the 80s when he was a teammate of, of, of Scott Pruitt's. But you, you took exception to maybe something that happened in the race, but that was all just part and parcel of it, that these things happened and there were often handbags after a race. Well, I mean, <clears throat> especially in bull rings, you got these uh, half miles and quarter mile races in America, dirt and asphalt. Well, there's always a fight after after uh, uh, after a race. Fifty uh, percent <laughs> of the time, there's a brawl. Right? You see it in NASCAR right now. So, um, yeah, I mean, we uh, Pruitt and I had a, 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 a huge rivalry, mainly stirred up by Jack Roush. Right. And, and, and Pruitt and I, you know, we're, we're, I would say we're friends now, but we're not, uh, you know, we, we talk, we will speak to each other now, 20 years, we didn't speak with each other at all. And so, you know, we, we laugh about it now, but, um, you know, in those days, you know, we, we, uh, we rumble and, you know, in, in the case of Portland, you know, I was too late. He was two laps down and he took me out while, while leading. So, uh, you know, there was, you know, in the parking lot after the race, which was not planned. They just happened to be driving down the pit lane, down the parking lot lane in Portland. And we uh, had a little uh, come to Jesus meeting. <laughs> Have you? Uh, have there, there's been no threats of uh, come to Jesus meetings in in your first season, Indy Pro 2000 yet, James? Uh, no, but you get close at times. Like um, I wouldn't say it's a Willie T. Rib standard, but um, times times move on. Uh, but you know, it's it's the reality is it's no different than I always laugh at people trying to you know grab stories uh, uh, and moments of, of sports people hold on to but it's no different than watching a rugby match or an NFL football match and some and if something happens to one of the players you know the two teams are going against each other you know they care so much for what they're doing so it's the same in our sport and something happens with another driver you know it takes so much to win there's so much going into it when there's an alteration with your rival there's confrontation and uh I try to do as much of my talking on the track, but there's certain individuals for sure that you have to have a little word with um, or just let them know that that you know what's going on and what was done in that race. They might have got away with today, but you're not going to get away with it next week if you try that again. And just that's that's really uh, planting the seed, as my uncle tells me. Just plant the seed. That's all you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> like for you, James, and for we're running out of time here, but... I mean, for a lot of people that don't uh, maybe realize your team is, is quite Irish um, in its uh, in its basis. You've got um, uh, Trintex that started off in, in Trinity College, I think it was in Kildare. And I know from speaking to you the last time, wasn't it? Um, Darren Heffernan, another Kildare man, was was involved with you as well. So maybe just give us a little bit of the background of the team and, and the Irish links. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the team that uh, 
with this year is a an Irish-owned team out of Chicago called Turn 3 Motorsport, which is owned and ran by uh, Peter Dempsey and his wife, Mandy Dempsey. Uh, Peter's Irish, uh, was a professional race car driver in the United States, got up as far as Indy Lights, uh, actually won the Freedom 100 in 2013, which is the Indy Lights equivalent of the Indy 500, happens the, the, the Friday before the Indy 500 every year. And then um, I became a team owner and set up a team on the road to Indy and Obviously, I was driving from this year, so as an Irish driver for an Irish team in America uh, with Irish partners on board, obviously Trintec um, being one of them. Um, they're now based out of, of, of Dallas, Texas. However, Darren Heffernan is the vice president of the mid-markets and a fellow Kildare man, so a strong Irish link there with the company being founded in, in Trinity College in Dublin many, many years ago. And then Topcon Positioning Systems, um, our Japanese corporation are on board. However, the CEO of that uh, global corporation is an Irishman called Ray O'Connor, also uh, a Kildare man. So very much uh, an Irish team uh, taken on America and uh, find the Irish flags. That's why it felt so good to be standing on the top step of the podium in Ohio with an Irish flag behind us. That's yeah, incredible. And it's, it's incredible. A feel-good story, I think, for Irish people listening in as well. Uh, lads, we're pretty much out of time, but it's, it's been uh, really incredible to speak to you both. I've, like, I've got a couple of quotes here that I wanted to mention as well, that uh, before we finish up from the, from the film, from your, your, your mouth, Willie, but I'm either in the race or you'll peel me off the cement was one, I think, which really stood out for me. And it kind of highlights the, that no fear attitude that we, that we kind of spoke about. Um, and, and the other one that I had, that I had, and I, I wasn't sure what the, the origin of this one was, but I think someone was asking you for advice and your, your words of advice were strong, like bull, cool, like cucumber, which is something, something you've clearly lived by. There, there's certain motivational um, metaphors that that I use to just keep me focused. And and in the case of Indy, um, you know, a, a lot of men died trying to be in that event. They gave their life, and that. Is, is is part of the the legend of the Indianapolis 500 and you know you some days you have to if you feel like you're not uh, not have the right mindset you got to remind yourself you got to have the right mind you got to tell yourself all right this is you know this is what you're you're gonna do and this is how you've got to be and and James, James will be in Indy. He'll be he'll be running the 500, and he'll he he'll get that right away. He'll say, "Yep, yep, strong like bull, cool like like bull. that." I'm gonna use that. I never heard it. I never. And now that you you said it, that that one didn't dawn on me. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's what it's about. You know, that's all the top sports people, no matter what industry it is, they're strong and and very calmly collected and don't lose their train of thought. Absolutely. Well, listen, we'll be following your career, James, as it as progresses. And no doubt when you win the Indy 500, we'll get the, uh, the exclusive interview here and off the ball, no doubt, <laughs> at some point. Um, and uh, look, it's been, it's been great speaking to you both. You've been listening. If you're just tuning in now to uh, the Saturday panel and Indy racing special uh, with Willie T. Ribs, motorsport legend. And uh, really, you should watch that documentary on Netflix as well that we've been talking about. Uppity, the Willie, Willie T. Ribs story. It's a really 
uh, exceptional watch, I have to say. And uh, James Rowe, the voice you've heard there as well. Kildare Driver just finished his rookie season in the Indy Pro 2000 and, uh, as we've said, won uh, the season-ending race in uh, mid-Ohio. So uh, it's a Saturday panel. You can uh, listen back, no doubt, to the podcast as well on the OTB Sports app, which you can download for free in the App Store or Play Store. That'll be up there uh, very shortly. And uh, watch the full thing back as well on youtube.com forward slash off the ball. But uh, Willie, James, it's been uh, really, really good fun chatting to you both this afternoon. So uh, thanks a million for joining us. Cheers, Shane. The Saturday panel on Off the Ball.